The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. It's good to be with you. I want to thank you so much for uh, being with us this third Sunday of Advent. Uh, We're grateful to to have you here this morning and to celebrate with us. Uh, A couple quick housekeeping items I wanted you to know about. Um, uh, One of them being, uh, we will have no Bible class next Sunday and the Sunday after that. So Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, we'll be meeting in here, same time, 10.30 on on those Sunday mornings, uh, but no Bible class on each of those. Just didn't want you to show up to an empty classroom. Uh, so, but we will have service, and uh, also related to that, the 25th, Christmas Day, uh, we have got some candles, some Christ candles, I believe they're, they might be in the back of the room, um, but they're here for you to pick up um, before you leave, and we'll have them out next week as well, um, and those, after we light the fourth Advent candle next Sunday, you can take those Christ candles home and light them on Christmas Day uh, to celebrate the end of Advent and the beginning of the Christmas season, so go ahead and, and grab those this week or next and take them home with you. Uh, And then finally, uh, this being Advent and our theme being Prepare the Way, I wanted to celebrate briefly just three guys who literally prepare the way for us every every Sunday morning to worship in here, Uh, and that is our event staff. So give it up for our event staff. Yeah, that's, that's Camden and Christopher Hayworth and Andrew Haywood. So I'm really, really grateful for all the work that you guys do, uh, allowing us to get to worship in this temporary space together. So let's go ahead and pray before we continue this morning. Gracious God in heaven, we uh, worship you together this morning. And we give thanks for uh, who you are, God, for in you is light, and in you there is no darkness, Lord. You are the light of the world, and you have shined that light upon us in Jesus Christ. We want to thank you, and we want to um, just continually turn our hearts towards you. God, we ask for uh, your presence and your spirit to be among us. God, again, I ask for the gift of preaching, and that you would open up uh, our hearts to the message of your truth. Help us to be witnesses and testify to your light, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. It was six years ago that Steven Spielberg was at his office at Universal Studios when he received a package. And on the outside of that package was inscribed a skull and crossbones. And so Stephen took the package back into his private office and shut the door alone, and he opened the package, and he took out the contents, and what he found was one of those old cassette recorders. And he set the cassette recorder down, and he sat there for 10 minutes in fear. Now, he wasn't afraid of what you might think. This was real life. It wasn't a Spielberg movie. He wasn't mixed up in some shady business or some kind of legal settlement or something, but he was afraid of the voice that he was going to hear because this was a voice at once 
past, present, and future. It was a, a voice past because it was a historical figure. It was a voice present because it was voiced by a contemporary of his, an actor. But it was also a voice future because it was going to be central to his next film project for the next few months. And so he clicked play finally on the cassette recorder and what came out was the reedy, middle American accent of President Abraham Lincoln. Only it was voiced by Daniel Day-Lewis, the actor who'd been studying Lincoln's life and story and character for about a year, trying to learn about him. And Steven Spielberg admits that when he hit play on that cassette recorder, he started to well up because he felt as if Lincoln himself was speaking to him. That is the power of a great voice. And our text this morning is also centered on a powerful voice at once past, present, and future. It's the voice of John 1.23 that says, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. This is the voice of John the Baptist at once past, because he is quoting the prophet Isaiah, Present because John is speaking it himself to his contemporaries. And it's a voice future because here we are, 2,000 years removed from John the Baptist, meditating upon and thinking about and proclaiming these very words. I am the voice is what John says. Now, if you don't remember your days in Bible class as a kid, or maybe you didn't go to church as a kid or something, John the Baptist, I think, is one of the most compelling, interesting, alluring characters in, in the entire Bible, especially the New Testament. Um, you know, there, I don't think there's hardly any character that captures a child's imagination like John the Baptist. I, I mean, this guy, first of all, lives in a wilderness— Basically a desert, so he's this desert-dwelling kind of crazy dude, and not only that, but remember, he wears camel hair and a leather belt, and so he's living in the desert wearing camel hair, and the best of all, if you remember kids from Bible class, is his diet. John the Baptist survives and eats solely locusts and wild honey. What more could a kid want in a Bible character than a Bible character who eats bugs? I mean, that is, that's all you need. J John is, is such an interesting character and, and so memorable, I think. But he's also very interesting because John the Baptist kind of stands between the Old and the New Testaments. Um, he's kind of this, you know, crazy Old Testament prophetic figure um, who comes preaching repentance and preparing the way. And Jesus calls him a prophet. But he also says John is more than a prophet. And John uh, is a, a character of the New Testament. He actually stands in all four Gospels and typically kicks off most of them. And so he kind of bridges this gap between the Old and the New Testament. Uh, between this Old Age and this New Age. And so John is a, is a great character for us to look at this morning as that one who makes straight the way of the Lord, the voice in the wilderness. 
But it's interesting, because in the Gospel of John, which, by the way, refers to John the disciple, the beloved disciple, not John the Baptist. But in John's Gospel, John the Baptist doesn't start by telling us who or what he is. He starts by telling us who and what he is not. Take a look with me again in John chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles. John chapter 1, verse 19. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So I think if we were going to do a a present-day retelling of this scene, I'd like to set it in in a press conference. You know, because John the Baptist is kind of this this public, religious, and even in a sense political figure in the Bible. And so we've got these priests and Levites coming, and they're hitting him with this barrage of questions, asking him essentially about, are you going to fill these offices? Are you going to run for office, John? And so they come at him, and John says, no, I'm I'm not the Messiah, you know, the the king from the line of David. And and they ask, well, are you Elijah? Uh, Which was an Old Testament prophet who who didn't die in the regular way, but was carried up to heaven in a chariot of fire. And so there there was this expectation that Elijah was maybe going to return and kind of sort things out for the Jewish people. And he says, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm I'm not running for that office. And they say, well, what about the, the prophet? Are you the prophet? And uh, that's referring to probably the only Old Testament prophet greater than Elijah would have been Moses. And there was also this expectation that, that a prophet figure, a great prophet like Moses was going to come back again and sort things out for God's people. And John says, no, I, I'm not in the race. I'm not running. John begins, though, by telling us, I I love that his his very first words in this scene in the Gospel of John are, I am not the Messiah. You know, would that we had more religious and political figures who began their scene by saying, I'm not the Messiah. Not the Christ. (laughs) You know, because typically the, the... Implicit message is kind of the opposite, right? You know, it's, I, I am the Messiah. All your problems, I'm going to fix them. I'm the Savior you need. Support me. Come to my church. Vote for me. That, that's kind of the implicit message sometimes. But John doesn't go there. John says, hey, I am not the Messiah. And so they, they press him further. The, the priests and Levites in verse 22, they say, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And before we get to what John says about himself, I want to run back to verse 6 and see what John the Evangelist says about John the Baptist. Uh, Carson read this wonderfully, starting in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. 
John came as a witness. And what is a witness? A witness is someone who observes an event, who, who has an experience, who sees or hears something, and relays those events to others so they can hear that testimony. Uh, one example, uh, just kind of a silly example from my childhood, I had a sleepover with my buddy Brian, um, probably around the age of 10 or so, and Brian and I were, were in his room, and he was sleeping in the bunk, and I would think I was on the floor in a sleeping bag, and we got to talking and laughing, and suddenly we, we decided to do, as 10-year-old boys maybe do, uh, to try a burping contest. I think that's something we do. <laughs> and so we're kind of, we're trading off back and forth, and you know, sucking in air and that whole thing, and, and we're trading off, and, and suddenly Brian starts burping, but it, in the middle of it, it kind of gets garbled and, and starts to turn into something else. And suddenly I see Brian leap out of bed and sprint to the bathroom as quickly as possible where he proceeds to throw up. And, and so I, I'm just kind of sitting there bewildered and, and Brian's parents wake up and they come out and, and they kind of look at me and I, I kind of feel like I'm on trial. Like I f feel like I'm in trouble or something. They're like, what happened? And, and so I, I tell them, well, we were having a burping contest. <laughs> and they burst out laughing. So I, I, even while Brian is still in the bathroom doing his thing, and they're just sitting there laughing, and I'm feeling a little more relieved. But in this moment, I've become the sole eyewitness to these events. You know, I have to relay everything that I saw and heard and experienced so that they can understand why this is happening. I, I, I was the sole eyewitness to these events, and I was kind of, you know, put on trial, and I had to testify for a moment. And so, you know, that, that's kind of a lighthearted example, but when we think about testifying, when we think about being a witness, we typically think about heavier situations, don't we? You know, we think about um, situations involving criminal justice, um, a, a courtroom. We think of uh, the countless novels and, and films and TV shows that, that use this as a plot device, right? So there's a, a criminal that they need to get, uh, but they're having trouble finding a reliable witness. You know, because a witness uh, not just relays events, but a witness, in a sense, puts themselves on the line. A witness, in their testimony, you know, gives over a bit of themselves to this event that they've observed. That's what it means to be a witness. And I think John the Baptist is a witness who has a lot to teach us about testifying. John the Baptist has a lot to teach us, so I want to close this morning just by looking at three kind of elements uh, of what it means uh, to be a Christian witness. This could be our, our Advent guide to Christian witness. And so, so those three elements, we begin uh, with the wilderness, the way, and the word. Uh, so let's, let's start closing this morning in, in the wilderness. John says he's a voice crying out, but He's not a voice crying out in a vacuum. He is a voice in the wilderness crying out, make straight the way of the Lord. 
And so when we think about a wilderness, when we think about first century Judea, um, it is kind of a desert-like place, but not necessarily a, you know, a vast, sandy, Sahara-like desert. Um, when we think about a wilderness, it, it's basically any kind of arid, uninhabitable, inhospitable region. You know, a place that is not conducive to life, a, a place with probably minimal rainfall, um, so it's a place of desolation, and, and probably most importantly, a wilderness is a place of disorientation. A wilderness is a place of disorientation. And so while many of us uh, do not live in geographical wildernesses, unless maybe you're visiting from West Texas this morning, Many of us do not live in geographical wildernesses, but many of us have known wildernesses in our lives. Some of you might feel like you're in a wilderness right now. Um, You might feel like you're in a wilderness with your career in regards to your family. Or or we might feel at times that our culture and this time and place is kind of a spiritual wilderness. You know, a spiritual place that is not uh, quite as inhabitable, not quite so hospitable to a thriving spiritual life. And so the thing that that we need to understand as witnesses, I think, is that in our wildernesses, most of the solutions we seek are mirages. Most of the solutions that we seek are mirages. You know what I'm talking about? If you've seen a cartoon that took place in a desert, you've seen a mirage. It's that optical illusion that happens based on the atmosphere uh, where the character is parched and thirsty and disoriented and they see this kind of sheet of, of glassy water that kind of builds into this lush vegetation, this oasis. And so what do they do? They, they run towards it, they sprint, they jump on in, and they get a mouthful of sand. It's a mirage. You know, it, it can't be the solution to the wilderness. And I think a lot of times the solutions that we seek are mirages as well. When we seek fallible, fallen solutions to our wilderness. You know, when we seek more money, more sex, more power. When we seek more approval of humanity and less of God. We seek these these mirage solutions to our wilderness. And they can't satisfy. But that's where Advent brings us to the solution. Uh, Because John isn't just a voice in the wilderness. He has a content. And he says, make straight the way of the Lord. So, so we're not alone in this wilderness. We have the voice of John the Baptist, and, and he's actually quoting in this line our text from Isaiah that, that Drew read so wonderfully last week. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 3, it says, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. So there is a way through the wilderness. There's a way through the wilderness. But I think not only at times are we surrounded by wildernesses as the church. 
But I think sometimes as the church, we have a tendency more to get in the way than to prepare it. Sometimes as the church, we have a tendency of too often getting in the way instead of preparing it. And let me tell you, church, the way is too narrow for Christian congestion. You know, if Jesus says that that narrow is the gate, narrow is the road, difficult is the road to righteousness, then the way is far too narrow for Christian congestion to block it up further. And sometimes we have been getting in the way instead of preparing it. We've been getting in the way with our our strife and our division. We've been getting in the way with, with false teaching and injustice and indifference. We've been getting in the way instead of preparing it. And church, far be it from us to ever be a stumbling block on the road to Jesus Christ. You know, far be it from us to ever cause a traffic jam on the street to Jesus Christ. Far be it from us to ever let our distracted driving Let us ignore a hitchhiker on the road to Jesus Christ. You know, we need to be the siren call. We need to be the ambulance sirens that are are clearing out the way, clearing the way for Jesus to come in and do his thing. We've got to get out of the way for Jesus because the way is too narrow for Christian congestion. And this brings us to the final element of our Advent witness. And that's that that John is not just a voice. He's not just calling to to make straight away in the wilderness, but he's calling upon a word. And this word comes in John chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. He says, Now the word became flesh and took up residence among us. We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth, who came from the Father. John testified about him and shouted out, This one was the one about whom I said, He who comes after me is greater than I am, because he existed before me. What is John witnessing to? What is he testifying to? It's not just a way in the wilderness. It is a word of life. And it's the word that was with God. It's the word that was with God in the beginning. It's the word that was and is God. And that word is Jesus. And and of all times, Advent is the time where where we think back to that powerful, mighty word becoming small. That powerful, gracious, beautiful word becoming vulnerable. Becoming killable. That, That word becoming incarnate. Putting on flesh in order to show us the way through the wilderness. Church, that's what we've got to witness to. We, far be it from us to ever get in the way of somebody on the way to the word, Jesus Christ. You know, we've we got to get out of Jesus' way and let him do his
his thing because he is the one, the only one who can claim, hey, I am the Messiah. I am the Savior you need. I am the one who can bring joy and hope and love and peace again to this broken earth. If you want to know more about that word, then we'd love to talk to you more this morning as we stand and sing and praise Him.